Should this new sun loosen? Should I grow weary of the dark? Before I find the surface, should I blame it on my heart? Should this new sun loosen? Welcome to the Deconstructionist Podcast, everybody. Coming at you from Columbus, Ohio. We are your hosts. I'm Adam Narlock. And I'm John Williamson. I love doing this. So fun. It's so much fun. And by this point, we just got done recording an episode that'll come out, I think, the week after this one, actually. And I can't even talk to you about it because... Don't listen to the episode next week. While driving a car, operating heavy machinery, <laughs> yeah, or holding a on, baby, or holding a baby, or being <laughs> on a treadmill in the gym. Just public service announcement weeks in advance. But this episode, yeah, super cool because very rarely do we get to do episodes live, where we get to pack another warm body into this sweet little studio here in Columbus, Ohio, in Clintonville. And we had the special opportunity uh, on this episode of having one of our new friends. The beautiful lead frontman of the band Civilian, which we're both very big fans of. Yep. And uh, Ryan Alexander is another one of those artists who has got a brain to match the beautiful music and the beautiful red hair. <laughs> and what, what a joy it was to have him on the podcast. And uh, man, it's just, he's just been, become such a good friend. Like, and he is so brilliant. But he forgot to tell us that he was moving across the country. And we're not happy. We're a little upset about that. We're a little upset about that. Like, yeah, he's in Nashville. No, he moved to LA. What? What? (laughs) So, Ryan, yeah, you got some splaining to do. Um, I want to read his bio off his website because it is hilarious. (laughs) Do it. (laughs) Read it. It says, Ryan Alexander, too lanky to be cocky. This fair-skinned high school student council runner-up has an affinity for doing (laughs) things the hard way and an aversion to handling food. As drummer Jeff Rose once pointed out, dogs look at Ryan and he quickly becomes their spirit animal. <laughs> <laughs> no stranger to parody, he plays a $130 guitar through a $2,800 amp, owns zero animals. <laughs> <laughs> Please tell me he wrote that himself. I hope so. Uh, this is just, this is one of those guys where like we, we meet special people along the way of doing this that were either listeners or we asked to use their music or we saw them live, we strike up a friendship. And Ryan is also really good friends with another one of our friends, Derek Webb, which is a very strange thing for me to say. (laughs) Yep. And um, this is just, you guys, I'm going to let this episode, we're going to let this episode just speak for itself because Ryan has got a great story that fits right into the motif of being on the Deconstructionist podcast. And he's got a brilliant mind. And you know what I love most about him that shines through in this episode? His heart for people. His heart for people and compassion and beauty and empathy, all the things that he's been through, all the things that he's seen, all the things that he's done, you know, in his life. And he talks a lot about that in this episode. And I, I would just like to let it speak for itself. So, yeah, anything else? No. Oh, we, we, have, a, we have a new website. Oh, yeah. I'm so bad at this. We should stuff. probably talk about that. We have, we have a beautiful new web, website that Ryan Battles designed One-stop for us. shop, baby. He battled it out. He did. It looked pretty bad beforehand. And if you want... Ryan to battle out a website for you. Yeah. Ryan Battles will do that. We can connect you. 
Um, our Patreon is on there. Thank you for everybody who is starting, you know, getting in there and supporting us and getting the new swag and the book club and all these kinds of things. We are literally bowled over at your support. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Um, I think that's it for now. We've yeah. got, we've got probably, um, a hangout that we're planning in Columbus, Ohio. Yes. So be looking for that on the interwebs and on the Twitters. And yeah. <laughs> on the, things like that. But um, follow our playlist on Spotify. So if you like the music, uh, we update that weekly. So check us out there. It's music to deconstruct by under the deconstructionist. Yep. And, and the band Civilian, who uh, this interview is all about, is going to be on there. And enjoy the music, um, Civilian, in this episode as well. So without further ado, we give you Ryan freaking Alexander. You stay through summer, you stay through winter. I dried up your patience, dried up your patience. You stay through summer, you stay through winter. Well, this is going to be fun. This is our this is our second because this is not how we roll. We don't do in person interviews. This is our very, second one this I year. I feel very out of my element right now. Yeah, how's my makeup? <laughs> I can't believe you made me put on makeup. Well, you know, Ryan. The Ryan, thing we do. Ryan Alexander of the, the band Civilian yeah. is in the studio with us right now. If, nine, you, can, if nine, you can call this a studio, ninety-eight yeah. percent chance that no one who listens to this podcast <laughs> has ever heard of of my band. So, well, well shame on them now. Better make it. Yeah, yeah. shame on them. Yeah. We're going to play some of your tunes on this thing, too. Awesome. Well, thanks for breaking me. I appreciate it. <laughs> <laughs> well, we have, a, we have a very big listenership. And um, what, what was the very obscure... Because we, we, you can look at your, your top like 20 countries or whatever. It, it actually breaks it down through the, the uh, website that we use. And number four was like Nepal or something obscure. Was We're it like, Nepal? We have like 300 listeners in Nepal. How did that happen? You're going to be selling some merch in Nepal today, yeah. man. Yeah. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. We'll, we'll put up a link to your to your website in the show notes. You're gonna be selling some vinyl and some T-shirts, and Heck yeah, I'm gonna need to add uh, some translations to the website. <laughs> That's right, <laughs> Nepali. I have I have people who will email me saying, "Can you please put the lyrics to your songs up on your website?" And it's never occurred to me to ever do that <laughs> until I get the email, and I think I have to do this. I'll even yeah. like put some charts up for songs. Oh, that's super cool. And, stuff, and I've just I've never done it. So I need to, it's been years since I've started getting those emails and I need to you should do that. make it happen Oh man, with, with all the translations. So yeah, <laughs> we're, we're terrible with anything that website. If anybody's listening to the show, they're, they're like, yeah, you are. Your website sucks, deconstructionists. <laughs> so we were so good about it until life got busy. And then it's, it's like, I think it's almost a year behind now. Yeah. <laughs> As of July. Pretty, it's pretty bad. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Your Sorry. dates are still, still sitting up there from a year ago. Sorry, everybody. Yeah. Well, yeah, We're working it seems on like it. Like a, like a good idea until you have to make a PNG file. Uh, like, What's well, a Photoshop? And I, yeah. yeah, I don't, I don't know. How we, to do any we just need someone to do it for us. Yeah. That's really what it comes down to. I think we got somebody, so we're going to be good, but nice. you get the, you get the lyrics up on yours because the lyrics to your songs are amazing. And we're going to talk about some of that here and uh and we'll try to spruce ours up too this is like a we'll hold each other accountable this yeah. is like an accountability group now yeah. <laughs> a web accountability group yeah so uh we so you've got an interesting story um you know a little bit about our podcast i think you've heard an episode or two and you know this is just uh we like to do these episodes where sometimes we just get to hear people's stories and we love music so much that this is just perfect man we get to talk hear a little bit about your story 
um, kind of where you've been spiritually, you know, philosophically, theologically, uh, where you see yourself going, where you are right now, and just talk about everything in between, talk about your music. So uh, maybe just to get started, like, tell us a little bit about like your, um, like your spiritual upbringing. Like you used to be a worship pastor, right? Or a worship leader? Or yeah, yeah I, was a, I was a worship leader um, after high school uh, when I was uh, in grade school. Uh, I had a, had a stutter. And so it just, um, I guess kind of kept me from ever desiring to really express myself. And, uh, so, so as a kid, my family would look on and, and they would call me like the artsy one of the family, (laughs) but it really was just because I was into rollerblading. (laughs) uh, That's something else we have in common. Yeah. In line till I die. (laughs) And, uh, so I, after converting to skateboarding, my life really turned around. Things started making more sense. The lights turned on. Sure. And, uh, so I had this, like I had to wear headgear because I had really weird teeth and I had red hair and I went to high school in Miami. And so I had a, a really strange interaction with becoming an, an adult or becoming a man, but I had a, a really amazing family. So my, my, Mom died when I was five, and so my dad, uh, my dad remarried, uh, uh, probably about two years after that, and I would end up spending years of just uh, resenting, uh, not necessarily like what had happened in the past, but the fact that I was supposed to get over it. Yeah, and so I'm sure that had something to do with stuttering, and then having crazy hair, uh, doesn't help. And, and so as I, as I got older, uh, I was really lucky. I've only, I think I've only ever heard my dad curse twice. Uh, one time he was teaching me how to weed eat the yard and I'm holding down the throttle and I turn around and he's standing behind me and I rake, I rake the thing right across the front of his, his shins. That doesn't feel good. Ow. Yeah. And, uh, then he's, he, We've got this uh, green Chrysler caravan, or like a Plymouth caravan. Yeah, I yeah. think it's like there's like a Dodge caravan, but there was like a Plymouth caravan. I oh think, yeah, for a little while there was like at least three versions of that car. Yeah, the so the driver's door didn't open, and so my my dad is like, I guess I'll just take this car. You guys can take the the new car. And so my dad, an adult, like an executive for an aircraft company, is <laughs> driving this van to work. That's awesome every day. And uh, taught me a lot because he's the kind of guy that he just, he actually would get underneath the car to change out the part. And uh, my dad, too. I come walking in the garage. Anything I can do to help? And he's like, Yeah, you can pass me that wrench. And so I just grab a wrench out of the, uh, out of his like tool chest. And I lean down on one knee, and he's probably four or five feet away from me. And I throw this little wrench, and it bounces like before it hits his hand. And it got him either in the forehead or like just outside of the eye. And those, those two, those two interactions made me feel like my dad's kind of cool. Yeah. Actually, my dad says shit. Like there's, there's like a reserve of power here that I didn't even know about that just peeked its little head out and like cracked through the, the walls. Yeah. Yeah. And so I, I grew up, uh, in, 
I was conservative. I don't, I wouldn't necessarily say hyper conservative, but whatever one step below hyper conservative is. Sure. Um, and I didn't really listen to much cool music. Didn't really see too many movies. And then I started having, uh, this weird thing where I would get interest in like hardcore music or I would, um, my, my older brother had borrowed a friend's uh, like classical guitar and he would keep it underneath his bed and I wasn't allowed to touch it. So I would only touch it when he was at basketball practice and I would sit there and I would play wild thing just no way. over it. Just, I mean, one riff on, yeah. on one string, still three notes. And, uh, what I found was that part part of the therapy for me, like uh, in terms of speech, is just well, music makes perfect sense because you can memorize what it is that you're that you're mm. saying. Uh, and so I got an internship after I dropped out of school, uh, at college, not high school. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, my dad said, "What's the plan?" And I said, "I, I don't know. I kind of want to start a band and just they." they my, my parents it just were pretty encouraging. Uh, That's awesome, man. Yeah, despite probably what their gut told them. They were like, oh, okay. So I got an internship at a church. And it's, uh, at the time, it was the sixth largest church in the United States. And so this is like one of my brothers from college, and I'm working underneath him. And I'm starting to learn more chords, and I'm learning how to like chart music. And now I'm kind of learning how to sing. And... It, it, the whole thing starts to click for me. I'm not like, I'm not stuttering the way that I used to. I'm starting to uh, have like clarity in conversation where I would, uh, I would be able to sort of see through the fog. So if someone was having a conversation where they really needed me to either listen or to really respond, I was, I was kind of getting to that, to that point. And part of working in a, in a church, whether you're on staff or a volunteer is there are certain questions that you do not answer because you don't know the answer to them. And then there are certain things that you don't know the answer to, but you can act like you know the answer to them. And, uh, so I think really well intentioned people can let themselves slide very easily, uh, categorically back and forth between those things. Yeah, I agree. Uh, and Group so, think. I yeah, mean, yeah, yeah. And so you end up just sort of submitting to what other people have to say on the topic. And I went from being an intern to now uh, leading worship for a 20,000 person church. And uh, they gave me Wednesday nights. And then I started doing more weekends towards the end. And I had uh, this experience where one of the other sort of staff guys that I was underneath, he wanted to have, he wanted to meet with me and this, he never ever wanted to meet with me. There are plenty of other more meaningful ways to spend his time than with an intern turn like, Hey, just, just be happy. You've got this gig, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, cause if you don't blow this, you're, this could be your life. Right. And, uh, at some point the, excitement of being up in front of that many people and it being broadcast on TV, the whole thing wore off and my roommate and I, uh, this guy, Bobby Dennison, he, he starts having these 
sort of conversations with me about the poor and the homeless and the diseased. Uh, and so he's running a, a fairly new, relatively small yacht brokerage at the time. And I'm working at the church, but we're roommates and, um, and we kind of like could see we're doing that thing where you sit at the bar and he says something and I'm like, okay, so does that mean that you think this? And then the more that we talked to, I think we both realized that we drove past homeless people all the time. Mm. And we came across, uh, uh, Isaiah 58. Right. And so this is, uh, the prophet saying, what you've been doing is you've been fasting and it just makes you grumpy. And, the lack of food doesn't really uh, illuminate anything for you. It just gives you an excuse to be an asshole. Right. And uh, he says, so, so this is the new fast, right? The new fast is to free the oppressed, to break every yoke, uh, to share your bread with the hungry, invite the poor into your home. I think I'm adding one here. Uh, <laughs> and invite the poor who are cast out into your home and that you wouldn't hide yourself from your own flesh and says, uh, if you do these things, the lights will turn on. It will be as if, uh, you say, where are you? And the voice will finally return. Here I am. Uh, dude, that's good stuff. Yeah. And, and so I, I was doing this thing at, at church and what I really discovered was that it wasn't the thing that I was doing that was what I loved. It was the fact that there were people who looked back at me and didn't know what to make of the whole thing. And I didn't know what to do with those people because it it exposed like my insecurity with it as well. So, wow. So I would be standing up in front of people that I really loved. Right. And at the same time, getting that feeling like, am I lying Mm. to people because I'm expected to to think that building programs are are great, and I just am supposed to to act like that. I right. it's not even that I disagree with it; it's that I didn't have an opinion on it. The things like, that I, I didn't that sure. I didn't have an opinion <laughs> on that I felt compelled to to be a part of, and so that pressure really for me revealed the fact that I'm actually here because I love these people far more than I love this position. Mm. Um, and from there, I just was like, I want to write my own music. And at some point I end up in this office and the guy says, you look lost to me. And I said, I, I am, but, <laughs> but, but not, but maybe not in the way that you, that you think that I'm that I'm lost. And it was, it was incredibly revelatory because it wasn't necessarily someone coming after me although that those conversations did happen. It's someone saying you used to look like you had this thing together, that you had it in the bag and that this was your gig. And now I'm starting to doubt whether or not this is your, and it became very, very clear to me that that wasn't my, my thing. And Mm. so I went from that to, just starting to write my own music. And so when I stopped working at the church, the, the, you know, the lead pastor who's not there anymore, uh, because he had at least an affair. Uh, so he's completely MIA. Now this guy sits me down and says, you're on this track here. (laughs) He, you know, 
does this motion with his finger as though I'm running around a track. He said, you're looking at this other track over here. And let me tell you, if you leave this track and you go to this other track, you're just going to be looking back at this track and you're going to try and figure out a way to get back over here. And I said to myself, I will never, ever lead worship in a church ever again. And how, just, how long ago just was to this? show this guy that I'm not doing this because I want another job that pays me more. Yeah. And uh, I, w- I would have to guess this has got to be f- seven years ago. Uh, but I went from being sort of like this F-list Fort Lauderdale <laughs> celebrity wonder child to seeing these same people at Publix and them saying, what happened? You haven't seen you in a while. What's been going on? And just saying, like, I stopped. <laughs> and like, well, what are you doing now? Are you leading worship anywhere? You... I'm like, no. No, I... I... <laughs> <laughs> but but it, was, it was really, really hard. It was something that would take me years to, to, to mourn. Oh, like, yeah. That dude. thing... Yes. I... Because I didn't just let go of working at a church. I went to great lengths to say if I stack every book I've ever read in defense of what I think on this table and anything that works against that on another table, I would have one completely empty table and the other would be something I would look at. And it's just, it's just the same thing over and over again, all the defenses. So I started filling up that other bookcase. I started filling up that other table and I discovered like guys like Christopher Hitchens and Sam Harris mm-hmm. and Daniel Dennett. The guys you that got you're some su- Sam Harris right over there, don't you, John? Mm-hmm. His new book, Waking Up. Sure do. Yeah. The, so, so the guys that you're supposed that are that you're supposed to listen to, like the, the kind of like the anti-evangelical. Sure. And anti, yeah, completely. Yeah. So, so I started really resonating with Christopher Hitchens in particular uh, because. I just thought that he was an atheist and it turns out he is a devastatingly powerful journalist. Oh my like gosh. Yeah. Right. So that's was, his thing. Unfortunately. RIP. Yeah. RIP Hitch. Yeah. Uh, so I actually moved from just reading uh, material that was uh in defense, like re, like like reinforcing, constantly. like yeah. always reinforcing what you already thought, like constantly. like like a confirmation yeah. bias, right? And yeah. then I went to the exact opposite side. I went to the <laughs> a, the anti theist side that says nothing good can come from this. And I sat at the bar as one of those people for a really long time. Uh, and I don't. I think I'm still on that bar stool for, for the most part. Uh, because what I saw is that there were so many things that I had to just, uh, take as part of the deal mm-hmm. in order to be a part of the other team. And so now I'm here doing a podcast with the deconstructionist, <laughs> uh, and the sort of the irony of the whole thing is you only get to really pick your name once. Right. And so when I first heard the name deconstructionist, I was like, the last thing that I want 
is to listen to a couple guys that think that deconstructing what you think is the most important thing that you can do with your time, right? <laughs> so it's a, it's a, right. it's a, it was a, a bad judgment on my part because uh, we opened ourselves up to that. <laughs> yeah, well, we did. No, no, but, but I think what, what you're really getting at the, the work that needs to be done is that within deconstruction, there is community like oh, that. Man. There are other people who speak half truths constantly, yeah. but they're, but they're coming from a place of just saying like, I hope this is true. And that's uh, like the difference yeah, between I'm in process. Yeah. yeah. And you shouldn't be alone. Yeah. So when I was last in Columbus and we're having a burger and a beer, so I just fun. said that there's a difference between believing something and then hoping that something is true. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've, I'm kind of wrapping up, uh, how to be here that Rob Bell book on, oh, so on, yeah. on creativity and, mm-hmm. uh, in presence. And, uh, I think one of the ways that he sees the world that I just, I have no idea how you can see the world this way is that he, he says that the universe is not neutral, right? Uh, that it works in favor of people. I don't see it that way. Right. So I don't believe it, but when I hear him talk about it, I hope that that's true. I want true. that to be true. Yeah. 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 And so I don't have to operate in a way that says I'm going to neglect how I've come to see the world uh, and just completely walk away from that. I can still have that, mm. uh, but I can, I could also stand to grow a little bit and I could, I could, I could stand to take some critique. And so I think for me and civilian and the deconstructionist and a lot of the guys you have on here is testing the elasticity of your ideas. Oh man. Yes, yeah, absolutely. And, and language just, yeah. and just, yeah. yeah. Like when we're talking about this, you know, whatever this is, when we're talking about this, what are we really talking about? Mm-hmm. Do we even know? Or are we just all just going along with the group think kind of, kind of BS? And it's like when you actually start to like stretch the words or stretch the constructs that have surrounded those words, you start to say, man, I'm not as sure as I used to be. Yeah. yeah. And that feels terrifying and okay like at the same time yeah yeah it's funny because um greg boyd says at one point in um i think it was the sin of sin of certainty is that right or is it the benefit of the doubt oh yeah i'm i'm giving him credit for a book he didn't write <laughs> um, he's read a lot of books in the yes, last couple years yeah a little bit but uh he, brag yeah yeah it was it's well, been, it was a whirlwind. It was like oh my god so we felt like we needed to research for every guest like mm-hmm. to the nines well and it Plus, part of that was we didn't think we were going to have guests, so we right. thought we needed to research everything because it was going to be the two of us discussing yeah, it. Too. So we're like, we better make sure we know what we're talking about. Source material, yeah. But yeah, Greg Boyd says uh, in, in the sin of certainty, he talks about the fact that we spend more time researching, uh, you know, buying a new car than we do our own faith. Yeah, you know, we spend way more time vetting out like you know your sweet new ride than than even taking a second to ask a question about what it is you truly believe and oh, why, man. Yeah, I uh so there's there's uh an encounter that you can have like the one that I've had or that any other person has had, right? And so it's how they uh brush up against uh sorrow or death or losing a job or losing yeah. your faith. Um and that tends to 
encourage us internally to, to like harden ourselves. Right. Mm -hmm. And so that seems like the most natural response. So it has to be useful to some, to some degree, but like every other uh, facet of really basic humanity, like fear, for example, fear is sort of useful. Like it it is actually useful up to a certain point. Yeah. 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 But, but beyond that, it's, it's no longer useful. Right. And so for me that like that callousness, which is clearly the, the wrong word to use, but there is actually something useful about learning to not just open every door because you see a doorknob. Uh, yeah. It's, it, it's, it, but it's not because there's anything wrong with it. It's that you actually have very few hours of the day totally, to, man. to do the meaningful work. Absolutely. And we, as American males, That's I good. feel like we have just been opening every door as if it was our house, as if there's something for us on the other side of that door for so long that we, that, that the softness that should actually come from sorrow, like the part of you that finds uh, comfort mm-hmm. in your tears, mm-hmm. right? And in your loss, that human anima, the ability of a man to think like a woman, the part of your psyche that actually allows you to look inward right. at yourself that requires you to approach what doors you open for what reason because just just taking over new territory simply because you're bored uh it shows it it actually reflects like a boredom that there's nothing that can inspire me in this room and so you have this uh or, or at least I'm torn between this pep, pe, uh, pessimism and this optimism when it comes to the sacred, because it's yeah. uh, good. For so long, I've been told in my in my youth that everything that you see is God. So even if you get cancer, there's like there's a bigger plan, and so I've I actually think that, but I don't think that's true, right? And so I when know what I you mean. So when I interact with something that's sacred, the optimist will take that thing and will keep it a lo- keep it around as long as they can manage it. So as long as it doesn't uh, threaten anything else in the room, yep, you hang on to it. Yep. And the pessimist will take that that same interaction and set it by the door and say, "I'm leaving the door unlocked." You are free to come and go whenever you want, and that that I the idea being that this might not actually be anything, but it could be something. Mm-hmm. And so, it, so entering into interactions uh, under the assumption that this is always like the cosmos knocking on your door trying to teach you a lesson. Right. That's that's sort of uh, that's this really. Uh, this might be me misspeaking, uh, but I had decaf, so I, I should, shouldn't be misspeaking, <laughs> but it's, it's an arrogance that everything that you experience is about you. Oh, no, no, no. I right? can, yeah, I completely agree. Yeah. And, but to, to enter into that cautiously, for example, is a great way of inviting other people into 
how they interact with what feels numinous, what feels sacred. And that is to say, I don't, I can't hold this. I can't see this. I can't really even explain why it's important to me. But if you share this experience, you can still put it on the nightstand. You can still leave it by the door. Like it's, it's not, um, you don't have to look away from it just right. because you don't believe it. Right. Uh, you don't have to disavow it just because you don't see it in that full-hearted, youthful, optimistic way right. that you used to. You don't have to just throw the baby out with the bathwater. Like, it still has a place. It still has value. It still has a it, it even has a mystery that probably you don't even understand. Right. It can unfold in a way that you don't know about yet. Yeah, and so it, it's like us, us having this conversation that if I want to be perceived as being more atheist than not, I will end up having to guard myself from saying things that might make your listeners right now think that I am actually just trying to reform Christianity. That's really hard for me. I get what you're saying. Yeah. Because creatively speaking, I, my interest is, is this, is like us sitting in this room. Yeah. And if people want to think that I'm on their team, I can't stop them. But I think the, that the reality is that I actually sit, when I sat on both bar stools and mm -hmm. I looked at the other, I now, I see what you're talking about. Yeah. I understand what, what you're saying and I can actually leave it at that as opposed to saying, but have you thought about this? That's what my art is for. That's what my, that's, that to me is like, right. Creativity is in, in art are the things that you didn't know you needed until you saw them or you heard them. And now you don't know how you live so long without it. So like when I saw that movie tree of life, so for example, good. right? Yes. Like, I had no need for that movie until I actually sat down in the theater. And now I, I actually reference it, uh, as one of the, one of the most like stimulating visual experiences that I've had in it's incredible. my life. Like, it's incredible. I actually learned something, but it's because I, I can't allow myself to sit in either one of these camps and just say, I'm so glad I figured this, figured this it out. thing out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think that there's this really cool um, thing that, I don't know, I don't know, John, you and I have never really talked about this, but I feel like we've talked around it. Like there's this thing kind of happening where you've got people like, you know, like we before we turned the mics on, we were talking about like, um, the void that Rob Bell left when he was, you know, excommunicated by John Piper from, <laughs> from the evangelical church. Right. Right. And he left this vacuum and all these people started kind of rushing into this vacuum. And what I see happening is, you know, where it used to almost be seen as those two bar stools, you've got the theist and the, you know, anti-theist or whatever. Now there's all this stuff where it's like, you know, you're Pete Rollins and your mystics and your things like this coming over and saying, wait, um, a lot of what we're saying has got some really heavy overlap here, yeah. like some really heavy overlap. Maybe we don't need, maybe we don't need to worry about what side we're on so much. Well, yeah, we, we do have to now spend a lot of time taking the people that we like, that we think are saying things that are relevant to keep a thing that has lost its relevance, relevant. Uh, That's, there's, yeah. there's, yeah. and so I, I actually don't know how these these guys feel about how people are, are using their work. Right. Basically saying, like, just so you know, 
we're not obsolete. We just we just found Peter Rollins. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. You know, so because there there is something, uh, dude. Good call. There, yeah. the, the, because, um, and I don't know if this is uh, Peter Rollins or the fact that I'm a genius, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> Jesus has uh, ten lepers right standing in front of him and. Uh, I learned a long time ago from my roommate, Bobby, that like death has a smell. It's mm-hmm. not just something that, that you see. And so the story goes that you have Jesus standing in front of 10 people and there's a smell and there's a social standing. And these are people who have really done nothing wrong on their own. Uh, right. And they all say, can you, can you fix us? And he's like, yeah, that's easy. Like, that's the easy part. And so 10 people are cured, right? And so the story goes, they all walk away. And one guy comes back and he said, essentially, thank you for curing me, but I, but I actually want to be healed, right? And so the difference between being cured and being healed is that uh, sometimes it's the grandmother on her deathbed who's been overbearing and no one wants to be around her and her granddaughter doesn't care. And so she walks over to the edge of the bed and says, I love you. I'm going to miss you. And I'm sorry that you're hurt. That person is still going to die of their cancer. They won't be cured. But the idea of, of being healed, like of having those things restored, I feel like that is one of the more powerful narratives that, uh, that, that's yeah. easy to miss out on it if, is. if your, your only interest is waving the flag of the secular or the atheist. Right. Right. And so I think guys like Peter Rollins, um, specifically him, can sort of stand in the gap for, uh, for individuals who struggle explaining to their parents or to their friends this this sentiment. And so it's the expression of the sentiment through someone like Peter Rollins telling stories that really does, I think, connects with, uh, connects with people in the same way that maybe Jesus stories did when he's standing on the side of the mountain. Yeah, Um, man, I completely agree. I never thought of that before the difference between the cure and the healing. And what about the time when, um, the, the friends dig the hole in the roof, right, and lo- and lower their crippled friend down in into the like place where he's teaching. And obviously, this guy wants to be healed of his being crippled. And Jesus just looks at him and says, "Son, your sins are forgiven." Yeah. So, like, forgiveness is not uh, both of us sitting down and saying, "I wronged you." Do you acknowledge? Yes, I acknowledge. Uh, do you forgive me? Do you acknowledge my forgiveness? Yes, I acknowledge. A lot of the times, the things that you're carrying around the most, like the most the guilt that you have, yeah, you were already forgiven. You just don't know it, right? Exactly. Yeah. That's, like, yeah. someone else has let it go. That's the way I interpret that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah and and uh, I think we've we've mixed up what what our real interest is uh, because of our obsession with the afterlife. Oh, dude. Yep. This it, yes, this obsession of heaven or hell later uh, can point away from the fact that you don't you, one you have no idea what comes after this, Mm-mm. right? 
But two, more importantly, you should never let yourself feel okay about the fact that there is suffering amongst children and women and men in Syria. Right. Right. And so this is where the water starts to, to like really uh, visibly start turning, right? Is that you cannot bring political policy into the conversation of Christianity without tiptoeing around the fact that there are people who would much rather pledge allegiance to their ideology than to their, their conviction. Right. And so that's like us, us right now, we basically can push it this far. But what's interesting is like the squeaky wheel is what we actually give the grease to Mm -hmm. right now. The real problem is that there are women and children all over the world who are constantly at risk, but we can't talk about providing asylum for them or going out and reaching out to them. One without being accused of like a social gospel within the church. Right. Right. And two, you can't say anything about it publicly because you might, you might ruffle the feathers of people whose ideology is so aligned with that, with, uh, with like, political policy. And that's, to me, that's, that's why we can't help anybody is because of the people that we're actually tiptoeing around. Right. And so what we're really hoping, right, is that that, that group of people somehow very mercifully and very lovingly and beautifully just dies off. Right. That, uh, it's actually the, the ideology that's, that, that keeps us, that is, is the most problematic when it comes to acts of mercy or acts of justice. Yeah, I was just going to say, it's, it's funny because I, I'm thinking back to the beginning of our conversation where you mentioned the time that your dad said shit. And, and it occurred to me that's essentially a microcosm for the way that we kind of view church in, the, in, in Western society. Like, you know, your dad just saying this curse word kind of broke this veil and at the end of the day, right. we all say shit. Right. Yeah. We, we all, In your head or yeah. wherever. Yeah. Like you're either struggling with something, you're having a bad day, or you're frustrated, you're angry or whatever. And it's, it's a lot like the way we kind of do church in Western society where we paint this beautiful picture. Mm-hmm. And it's all about like, you know, living this moral, clean life and, and, and perfect attendance and all this sort of thing. But meanwhile, we all know behind the scenes that there are people out there really engaging in real suffering. Right. right. And we're not doing anything about it. Well, yeah. So, well, my, so my, so, my dad, right. So many he's, places we can go with that. He's not James Dean, right? Like yeah. he doesn't just <laughs> curse and all of a sudden it, he just, this is who he becomes. Mm-hmm. But more of what that represented was that I was so present in his life for so long at that point that he forgot I was there. Like yeah. in some weird way I had been, I, I had spent so many years growing up and he had grown to be so comfortable with me that in that moment, that whether it's uh, rage or pain or joy, that you can actually forget about the fact that you're trying to impress or protect the people around you. Right. And the amount of defense that we are kind of forced to play right now to protect people, that energy costs four or five times as much as a loving, honest energy that says, all right, it's about time that you know that I don't drink any beer except Bud Light. Right? <laughs> or I, 
I struggle to not smoke cigarettes, right? Yeah. Like, yeah. as we start to let people in on those sorts of things, those are the easy things. Sure. But then you start talking about... I've been meaning to talk to you about the Bud Light thing, by yeah. the way. Yeah. We really got to graduate. I mean, it's a legitimate it's problem. It's time to graduate. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we need to uh, step it up. <laughs> but, but yeah, it's in that, uh, it's in that place that uh, our emotional interaction, w- that we're comfortable enough with the other person and i'm sure that my dad apologized to me later but he didn't have to mm-hmm, right like there was there was some some light that turned on in that moment where i was like one my dad is cool two my dad is cool with me because you saw he's a human yeah because you before that he's a he real person just fucking fixes everything he doesn't like he doesn't complain he has so much to complain about his wife died his like he's working on building his business. When you talk about like something crumbling, like that's what this guy who's underneath this green caravan, he's not there because things are going incredibly well. Right. It's because he had to go and buy the manual on right. how to drop a transmission right. out of a van that only has one working door. Right. Like so in that, you actually kind of see that if you're lucky enough to be someone who can disappear in, in a room away from being someone that you have to protect or serve. And you're like, no, I'm just, I'm part of this room with you and you're part of this room. It, uh, it sort of reminds you. And that one of the things that Sam Harris talks about when uh, he's talking about, uh, consciousness is that our perception of us is that we are like a little Lego man that's riding around behind our eyes and we're like, okay, that's a strip club billboard. I'm supposed to look away from it because that's not who I am. And that's the, the easy part, right? But whenever you do something that you don't like, it's like, well, that's not really who, who I am. And so right. our, our misunderstanding yes. of, of ourselves, uh, like on a just purely conscious level, mm-hmm. is that thing that deceives us that says the suffering of others is okay because there's it's all part of a master plan, right? right so when right. Rob Bell talks about the universe not being neutral, uh, I see what he's saying for him, but that doesn't motivate me as much as I only get one crack at this that I that I know. And if I get another one, yeah, awesome, great. But this one I have to make really, really important. No, and I think that that gravity. That on, honestly, I think uh, I've got this theory that I'd love to tease out at somewhere that um, the rise of, of atheism in, in the sense, in the form that it's in right now, is uh, been created by our love of certainty and by our love of uh, groupthink in intellectual religious settings mm-hmm. that basically has become this uh, idolatrous mess of guilt and shame and all this stuff. And so uh, just like in the Old Testament, when things would get idolatrous, you know, the prophets would rise up and critique what was going on. I really believe that the atheists that uh, are rising up right now, you know, like you'd mentioned Hitchens and and Harris and even Dawkins, and I would say before them, Forbach and Nietzsche and, and these guys are calling out, in my opinion, what needs to be called out and pulling us back down into the dirt, into the incarnation of what our faith was always supposed to be, which is flesh and blood and bone and mystery here and now. 
And it's in this moment. And the next moment is not a guarantee. And so it's all just pulling us down right now. And, you know, like your dad saying the cuss word, I love to keep talking about this because I think there's, <laughs> it's actually a really rich um, metaphor to dig into. I don't know if you guys are familiar with the, uh, the anecdote about uh, Tony Campolo when he was speaking at Wheaton. Did you guys ever hear this? Yeah, uh, he says uh, 30,000 kids died of hunger Yes, last night. And you don't give a shit. Yeah, and the worst yeah. part is that you only heard that you don't give a shit. Yeah, and, and now you're, you're more <laughs> concerned about shit. a pastor yeah. saying the word shit than you are about the 30,000 kids that died last night. Well, yeah, so I, uh, after the earthquake in Haiti, uh, I had spent some time there before and then after, and uh, I was uh, able to spend a little bit of time at a prosthetics clinic. Mm-hmm. And wouldn't you know it, but all of the doctors, all the nurses doing the fittings were all people at prosthetic limbs. Someone on to cut me off Cause I will not stop So leave me here and oh, take me wow. right. End of and and end, end, yeah. end, end of the story and end yeah. of illustration. But that's these, it. These were all solidarity, right? Yeah. yeah, that your pain. So the cancer, right? Like back to that illustration that you were using. Um, in the optimist way of looking at it, it's like, oh, this is all a part of some big grand plan, and it's all still just pie in the sky. You just keep fitting everything into the pie in the sky interface. That's it. Yeah. It's just all yeah. You you can fit that into the pie in the sky way of seeing things, right? Yeah, you can fit that into the pie sky. But then you know the the pessimist is like, okay. That sucks, but life sucks. We just have to deal with it, whatever. The, the, the other way of seeing it is the people with the prosthetic limbs fitting the people with the prosthetic limbs. Totally sucks. Mm-hmm. Totally sucks. Um, not pie in the sky at all, but look at the solidarity it created. Um, the connection with the here and now, the people that you are supposed to touch and hold hands with and and, and be with, and that solidarity, I, I, Christian or not, it doesn't even matter. That's just humanity. That's the glory of like, uh, and like, I wouldn't call it an optimistic way of looking at humanity, but like believing in the beauty of the relationality of humans and how everything can bring us solidarity with each other, like even suffering, more, probably more than anything, suffering. I, I'm a terrible typer on my phone because I basically just hold down the home button. And I say Siri Safari search and then just whatever it is. So yeah. I, I couldn't listen and, and find the reference, but uh, I believe that it's uh, Deuteronomy. I've, I, I'm aware that I, that I'm going to sound to people like I just am trying to make Christianity work for everyone. It's, it's not, <laughs> it, it's, 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 it's not my interest. <laughs> Let them think what they uh, think, man. Let them think but, what they but think. But I've, I've spent, so if there's something that I know more about than anything else, it's this, it's, it's this type of life. And, uh, so the Israelites, it takes them 40 years to go three and a half miles or whatever. Right, right, right. Uh, but after they, uh, after they pass through, the sea and the water closes down on the enemy. Uh, you have the leaders of the group say, all right, group talk. And so everyone gathers around 
And and that's what Deuteronomy is, right? Yeah, it's a bunch of sermons. So it's, you've just outrun the enemy and you're finally safe and you're wondering what's next. And what's next was remember to not oppress the heart of a stranger. Right. Because you used to be a stranger. Yep. Because you used to live in Egypt. Yep. Uh, That is the most overlooked sentiment uh, amongst the powerful. I totally agree, man. And right now, I mean, Christians are still the most powerful people in the United States, and it actually is going to serve them well uh, politically to just get whatever the hell they want. Right. Like what seems to be happening now. Right. Because you will realize that uh, we've been sold a lie that you that your life is, you're supposed to be happy, that the end game is happiness. Right. Right. But it's almost just like too ironic that you come to a point where you say, okay, I, I'm giving up happiness as being my end game. And I'm choosing to interact with, with the world and, and my friends and the work that I do and the dreams that I have in such a way that one, my work is meaningful, yeah. but two, that it'll allow me to have fun because we don't have fun anymore because we just want to be happy. <laughs> That's good stuff, man. <laughs> and, and yeah, it just, it seems so, it seems so ironic, but like the Arcade Fire uh, record, The Suburbs, that, oh, yeah. that song, so City good. With No Children In It. Yes. Right? It's like, that, that's kind of what if what this feels like right mm-hmm. now. And so we have to do a podcast and talk about very serious things to us because we're trying to redeem the fact that we are part of, of the problem. Like we are, uh, not to quote myself, but to quote myself, like <laughs> we are the bricks in the, in the actual wall. Dude, that's r- one of right my now. favorite lines from the it record. It separates us from actually doing something about the problem. And keep in mind that, that me saying that is f- way before I knew that Trump wants to build a wall. Like a wall? Of course he wants to build a wall. <laughs> of course people want a wall. People always the, wanted a were wall. Were you speaking the future? I think yeah, you it's, were. It's like, it's, <laughs> it's the first bad idea that you have when you want to 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 bring separation because what it actually reveals is that the heart there is not immigration like there's something else there there's a reason you're not putting a border on the north end of of the country and so right. it's like it's it's it puts image yeah it it puts us in in a in a position where we can actually examine the motive behind not just like public policy or political policy, but the policy within our churches or amongst our atheist friends. Uh, I was talking to one of your former guests, Derek Webb, and uh, we were talking about how the how the fact that about the fact that you can learn pretty much everything you need to know about how close you can grow to someone by sitting at a table with them and something going wrong with their food. Oh, or, totally. Or taking dude. too long. Yeah, Adam, totally. Adam just throws it at the waiter. Yeah, I don't know if you knew that about him. I, yeah. that's when I cuss. But 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 yeah, <laughs> it's, it's it's when a- it's <laughs> when the, that that pressure is on in those situations. Hundred percent, man. And now the spotlight is on you because you ordered shepherd's pie and it has no corn in it. 
Uh, that softness yeah. has to reemerge in us and it has to become something that, that is an actual discipline for us because I think what ends up happening is uh, Bobby and I met these two priests who had come over from the Vatican and they had committed, I think like maybe six months to a year of being missionaries in Fort Lauderdale, Florida, where we were living. Right. And so they come over and they speak Italian and not super great English, but they're going to help people in Fort Lauderdale. And so they start sleeping on the street. And so me and my roommate who are now trying to go out and have homeless people move into our house with us, we meet these guys and they say, we'd love to come stay with you for a night. So I think they came to our house for one night. And one of the guys I was talking about how he just sets an alarm for two or two thirty in the morning because he wants to, he wants to meet something at the most inconvenient possible time. And so it's like, it, it, it actually takes discipline for us to be soft. It takes discipline for us to be aware. Uh, but we can't be afraid of encouraging other people to solely do things at first that are just discipline based. And so for me, it's just like smile. That's hard. That's uh, that for whatever reason, that's hard for me to do. And so for over the past week, I've just said, set it, set an alarm today, every hour to just remind you to just smile because there's right. There's a positive byproduct of that. How much more so when it comes to the virtues? Yeah. Right. It's almost like it, that if you don't discipline yourself, they just wash away. Totally. Like man. they, they just get, they get swept out. And so, uh, yeah, for me to ring and, and the, the music, uh, it's just a reflection of me wanting to uh, be reminded of the fact that me being correct or me being right says nothing about how deep and rich my experience has actually been. It's more like the fact that I could be uh, scarred and approachable. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, it's it sharing those those stories with people uh, should be deep and they should be meaningful. They, sh- they shouldn't be like when you say, tell me about yourself. Like I could tell you about my, both of my cars getting stolen by homeless people or like going to a funeral. But those, 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 those are things about me that have got me to where I'm at, but there's so much a part of me that, they are like me standing in front of my father, so present that I actually forget that they're there. Mm-hmm. And so I forget about the experiences that I've had or the places that I've gone. And I've seen some crazy things and I, and I forget to reference them. Mm-hmm. My desire to soften myself when I hear someone say some bullshit <laughs> and, and I just want to say, what are you talking about? Like, how are you allowed to go on like this? That softness basically says they will hear nothing that I have to say if I approach them this way. So what I've done is I've softened it melodically, but now what I 
want to do is like, I want to figure out how can I in real time conversation, not just write off people because I think their, their ideas are wrong because most likely this idea of correctness that I have that I expect from other people, I, I don't have it. I don't have it myself. So I just keep coming back to the idea that that, that human anima, the ability of me to put myself in the position of a woman is a really great gauge for uh, how many steps I've actually taken in the direction that I need to be going in. Um, because it's, it's hard to find those types of tests. But that's, like, that's one test that I, that I have adopted over the last couple of years that I constantly put myself in, in the position of a half of the population that I have felt like exists for me. And so from there, I can uh, use that as my launching pad for how I combat bad ideas or how I interact with ideas that I don't understand. Uh, but it seems to be the only chance that I actually have of softening myself. Because mm. if I just look at my story and the way I think about things, uh, I miss I miss a million windows that are worth worth looking out of. I am torn between if Judas is more you than me, the risen king that seems to speak to anyone but me. So forgive me. When I don't know yeah. what to One do. of the things that I think is interesting about um, you know, like as Adam and I have gotten to know you and, and I think uh, I can't speak for Adam, but I, I definitely see you as a, as a storyteller. So when we talk about, um, telling our story, you know, I look at the lyrics of, of your songs and, and it's very, um, narrative based, you know, it, it's telling yeah. a story about someone's struggle. And is, is that something, you know, cause we'd be remiss if we didn't, uh, talk a little music here. Yeah, totally, man. But um, is that something that happened organically uh, as you started to, to write your own music after leaving kind of the worship scene? And um, is there anything that's really off limits? Because when I look at your lyrics, I think here's some brutal honesty that I would like to see more of. Yeah, I am a huge fan of Randy Newman. Oh, uh, awesome. yeah. Toy Story guy. Yeah. Heck yeah. Um, but he's not the Toy Story guy. He's a, He's like, it'd be like... Hitchens, the atheist guy. It's yeah. like, oh no, no, no! You, you completely have, or, or even uh, ascribing like a like bitterness to his personality. Uh, Randy Newman was writing songs twenty, thirty years before their time, uh, and it's it's actually a lot of stuff that I probably can't say on this podcast, or you would you would lose listeners. But like <laughs> a song like uh, Rednecks, for example. Uh, just reflects where he saw culture going. And the first, so the first civilian record that I put out is going to be, it's going to be five, have, have come out five years ago on May 12th. Seriously? Wow. Yeah. So that was, so that's the, the first record that I put out. And I realized last night starting to play a few of those songs in, in the night before, because I, I don't really play the the older stuff as frequently as I play the new stuff. And I just think like it gives me 
like goosebumps in a weird way that it wasn't that I was so aware or that I even knew like what I was talking about. It's just the fact that my eyes were open at that point in my life uh, that I just, I, I could, I felt shadows behind me. Like I felt things when I was writing that, that I didn't necessarily feel when I was writing this, but there were other shadows and they did and it didn't feel like someone was behind me. Uh, it felt like I knew someone was behind me. I couldn't see them, but I could see the shadow cast in front of me. Wow. And so like the old stuff feels like I was looking forward and the, the newer record that we just put out privilege is it's looking back and acknowledging that, uh, there's not much that I can do to change the past other than, uh, shift how I, how I look at it. Right. Because then your, then your past can actually become useful. But if you say, well, I can't do anything about the past and you just move forward. It's a, it's about learning how to look at things like the passing of your wife. Uh, you would say, this is the easily the worst thing that, that can happen to you. Uh, and, and, and you'd be completely right. But he does, my dad doesn't have this new family. He doesn't have this life that he has now if he didn't go through that. Right. Uh, so it's, it's figuring out how to adjust perspective. Uh, and so, yeah, for, for me, musically, narrative is really the only way that I can allow myself to, to get there. Like if I think about homelessness, uh, I, I can only really think about it in the context that I packed up a few one gallons of block bags every once in a while and went onto the street and then would meet a couple people that would stay at my house with me and my roommate for a little while. But if I write from the perspective of one of these guys who didn't ever get clean, right? like there was always a mess, then I, then I actually see the problem. You're forcing yeah. yourself like to actually think not just from you looking at a problem, but in embody the problem itself. Yeah, how I see the problem is completely useless. Yeah, for for the most part, uh, how someone else encounters and interacts with the problem, what what I'm actually useful for is translating someone else's real experience. Uh, melodically and, and rhyming it. And it's just absolutely true that you can say something that makes sense and it can resonate with people and people think that's a well-spoken human being. You rhyme it and people are just like, this guy's a genius. <laughs> and and because in reality, uh, my goal in writing music is that one day I just want to release a, like a book or something that's, that has no music. That's just all of these words that I've written and I want it to actually read well, like from one end to the other. And that's, I think part of the reason why we find music that's, that we like, but it's maybe hard for us to really attach ourselves to is like one they the band doesn't even love this song. You can kind of tell it's just, it's, it's just fun. And there's a good beat. Yeah. Right. And that's, that's (laughs) awesome. But I'm, I'm just not wired that way. I've musically, I write very intense so people meet me, and I think they're kind of surprised. <laughs> I was, I, yeah. And the f- <laughs> you're really well adjusted. I mean, <laughs> a lot of the, the language that I use in songs, I don't use in real life. I am 
probably percentage wise more abrasive on a record than I than I am, you know. Because it's measured. You're actually trying to accomplish like an objective. Yeah. You know, it's like it, it has point and purpose to it. Yeah. If you would have asked me if you could ever use the word faggot in a in an actual meaningful way musically where people wouldn't just say okay what the hell and then move on from <laughs> yeah, it yeah like, yeah i don't know if i necessarily accomplished all of the work that i set out mm. but i can tell you it didn't even cross my mind whether or not i should use the actual word in the actual song in the context because this is something like we're the same age. We grew up and that is just something that you say when you want to belittle someone that, that you don't like. Right. Sure. But that that word, right, it comes from somewhere. And since we can't talk about it on Facebook or on Twitter without getting a million counterpoint arguments as to why you're not allowed to use that word because it hurts people's feelings. It's like, let this hurt your feelings. Yeah. Mm-hmm. because I'll tell you what, the the person that the song is about, this song does not hurt them. It only hurts people like us who have used that language or used our position uh, to, to try to, to monopolize power and control. It's like we treat starting churches like we're entrepreneurs. Totally. And yep. we don't, we don't serve people because when we talk about service there are all these other words attached to it like servant leader it's like okay so i can still be a leader right we immediately oh, yeah, put ourselves back in totally man back in power yeah and uh, empire just the whole thing is about creating a brand that is going to save the world right but rather than or fill the seats one of the yeah, two. yeah. but yeah yeah you More say it's going to save the world but really what you want is to fill the seats with people that think that filling the seats saves the world somehow. Yeah, you, right. want, you want five services in a giant bookstore. And, exactly. You know. And there's a, there's a place for that critique, and it's partially here with, with what we're doing right now. But there also is like, if shitting on something ever changed anything about how that thing operates, <laughs> totally. yeah. like... I'll be damned. It does. It doesn't work. <laughs> You're right. It doesn't. It does yeah. not work. The only way, and this this is something that I actually do both hope is true and believe, is that if we can just strip away the part of us that wants to be right, mm-hmm. we can forgive someone else for their indiscretion long enough to see them as being a human being. Absolutely. Because at some point, I would like to hope these guys like Benny Hinn, I could be wrong, but I would like to think that there was something in the beginning that said, riches I need not, nor man's empty praise, that those songs that ended up becoming the songs that were sung on the stages, and now you have the white curtains, and I have white suits and, and Learjets. This, this might have to be the, the last thing because I've, I've got load in, but I uh, went to my grandmother's house, and so I don't go to my grandparents' house a lot because uh, I am a pretty bad grandson. Uh, I, I, I lived with my grandparents after my mom died. So going back into that house is, and I 
haven't really admitted this to to anyone. It's just how not often it comes up. It was very hard for me to go back into the house because the furniture is the same. Yeah. The bedrooms are the same. And so I, I'm walking into this haunted house, right, in, in some weird way. There's this one chair that's still by the door. It's like a rocking chair. And I remember my mom sitting on it with her leg underneath her. And I knew that she was sick, but I didn't understand how sickness worked. Right. And I look across the room, and I thought that my mom's leg had been, like, either cut off or fallen off. Like, so I, I know, again, nothing about cancer. I know, but I ran over, and I just remember being, like, so terrified that my mom's never going to be able to walk again. But she was just sitting on, on her leg. This is the house that I'm walking into. Wow. And so... There's, they still have the same pictures of her in the same spots, and they're very, very loving people. But they also feel very deeply compelled to give money to the TBN televangelist anytime sure. that he asks. Right. And so I know that my grandparents don't have much money at all. They hardly have anything. Like they didn't, they didn't have a cell phone until probably the last couple of years when like, if you do not have a cell phone and you die, no one will know you have to get a cell phone. Yeah. 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 So they will work their budget out so they can own a cell phone. So I'm walking around this house. This is gotta be right after, uh, I stopped working at the church and I see a, uh, a model Learjet that is on a shelf. And my grandfather was in the Navy, but we've never really, I've, I've never really heard him say he has a fascination with planes or anything like that. Uh, and so I'm looking at this plane and I see that like on the tail of, of the plane in this miniature replica, it's like a dove force one or it's just, it's something like, like the, some terrible like Christian version of, of air force one. Oh and, uh, there's a plaque underneath it that says, thank you for donating whatever. And it was, I think it was like, it was thousands of dollars. Oh, like over $2,000 where this asshole gets on TV and my grandparents can't go anywhere or sitting in front of this television in the chair where my mom, their daughter used to sit. And in the chair right next to it, and a guy comes on the screen and says, if you give X amount of money, we will send you this model Learjet. And uh, I was so offended by the fact that there was not an infomercial that, that legally has to come on right after and say, okay, this is what, this is what he's saying. This is what's happening. And when I asked my grandmother about it, she said, you can have the other one if you want. Oh. Her and my grandfather's desire to see a world or to, uh, to build a world that they will never see, I guess, right? That they'll never be able to get out of their house and experience what it is that they think that they're building into. 
even that can be taken advantage of. And I think that's why what you're doing with Deconstructionist and what I'm trying to do with Civilian and Sam Harris and Peter Rollins, I think it all comes back to this part of us that we actually like experience heartbreak when we see people being taken advantage of. Yeah. Uh, but not for a second did I look at my grandparents and say, how stupid of you, how no. foolish to take that, that money. Uh, I'm sure that there's probably some element of that conversation that might've taken place with my dad, but that's actually not my place. My place is the healing place. It's not the curing place. It's to say, I love your heart. And keep in mind too, even at that point, I was just like, all of Christianity, all of like religion is just rubbish. And even me in that position, I could look on at people who'd been duped, fooled by a newfound enemy of mine. Right. And I could just acknowledge that that comes from a place that I do not have right now. I am, my empathy it has expired, but it's strange how the interaction with people who seem to have endless compassion, endless empathy, endless patience with me, with my mom, with my dad, uh, who have, people have had pretty terrible lives and end to end, still at the end of their lives, try to find a way to engage. And I wanted so badly to be someone to criticize and to belittle until I was actually in the haunted house with people who have to look at this stuff every day who don't know any better. And I think that really softened uh, something inside of me that desires to have everyone donate the way that I would. Uh, Because it's not really about the people who are getting helped most of the time. So the person who's trying to help, it does something in you that, that uh, it draws from the well mm-hmm. and you thought that the well was dry, but it's not. And so people will take advantage of that. And my argument right now is that that's okay. Yeah. You, those people are going to find a way to take, to steal, to ruin spirituality for you to ruin meaning in the world, to try and tell you what you should and shouldn't be doing. Uh, even at the expense of that, if we do not learn to, to constantly be conscious of the suffering of others and even the suffering in our own lives, we will have missed out on it because we just think I'm investing in heaven after I die. This this right. matters. This this really does matter. And one day when my grandparents are gone, this guy's gonna sell this Learjet. You know, I actually I think he was just they, his house was just raided uh, by the IRS within the last few weeks. No kidding. Yeah, yeah. I think I know who you're talking about. Yeah, it's like Benny Hinn. I don't know. It's one of one of those. Ke- Copeland was it? Kenneth Copeland? Po- possibly. Kenneth Copeland, Benny Hinn, Jack Van Emby, yeah, all those guys, man, well, just taking advantage of people. But it's it's but it is it's those people who are seeking to do something good, 
there is there is regeneration and there's redemption for motive. But a lot of people actually don't even have the heart to help anymore because they've gotten so discouraged because we just listen to podcasts and we listen to each other and we we bitch at each other about the way we think things should be. Yeah. But we don't actually interact with the world in that way. We believe it, but we don't do it. Right. We think it and we say it, but we don't do it. And good, so man. believing something matters so little compared to like saying, hope that the world can be this way is a very powerful way of transforming our discipline uh, in our, our habits. So deep, right? Dude, that was good stuff, man. <laughs> I told you. I told you all we were going to have to do is turn the mics on. I told you, man. And if, and if we ruined your voice, then I apologize to all the people who get to hear you sing in about you know, an hour. It's this festival it's Steadfast or something? Steadfast. Steadfast. Well, enjoy some civilian Steadfasters. And for everybody listening, uh, we are your hosts. I'm Adam Narlock. And I'm John Williamson. Here with Ryan Alexander from Civilian. Pick up the record. You wouldn't believe what privilege costs. And uh, you will be glad that you did. You got to sample some of those tunes while we uh, talked here. So, grace and peace, everybody. In your arm till you cave, or I'm breaking it off. Do me a favor, say what you're thinking. I'm twisting the words that you say till I hear what I want. I knew if I told you that I loved you. That was fun. It, I think so we could have. I don't got- remember. <laughs> it was, it, we record this one over the summer. It was it was yeah. a long time ago, but it was really fun. And I I do I remember so much about it because I feel like there's so many parallels between his story and ours and other people who listen to this show. You know, um, finding yourself in a situation that you become uncomfortable with and start to question, and and you you grow out of it, and it becomes defining. But your journey doesn't end. Yeah, your journey doesn't end. You 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 grow. And you, you keep going, and and more things continue to happen, and and you, you grow in your experience with humanity, you grow in your experience with yourself, you grow in your experience with love, and some of the realizations that that Ryan dropped, I just think were were incredibly poignant. Specifically, just staying soft. Yeah, he talks a lot about that. Just being human, just remaining, retaining your softness as a human. Uh, that's. Of all the conversations I've had with him, that left quite an impression on me. And it's funny because that's that's that idea has aged well over the months since we've recorded this. Mm. Um, you know, I was just writing something down today, just you know, thinking of ideas for future blog posts and stuff. And and one of the things I kept thinking about was the fact that we're just inundated right now, especially um, in the news, with just negativity. I mean, that's all there is. Yeah, you, you can't you can't get away from it. At we're this a point. culture that's addicted to negativity, man. Yeah, we're totally addicted. I remember there was a there was actually a, a news story on the fact that the news just pumps out so much negativity. Here. Oh yeah, and they were talking about the fact that in Canada on the news channel they were like, and today in the news, like you know, we put a new speed bump on this road, you know, and it's like, you know, it doesn't sell here, but it's like, you know what? I'm ready for some speed bump news. At I'm this ready point. for fireman rescues cat from tree. Yes, wouldn't that be nice? <laughs> I, I, <laughs> really, but I, you know, but you know, m- most of all, what this interview made me remember, 
What's that? How much I freaking miss Ryan Alexander. I know. And the fact that he didn't tell us he was moving across the country. And how I just want a big hug and to have uh, a Bud Light with him because I think that's all he drinks. I mean, he proved to us that not all gingers are evil. They're not all evil. Yeah. It's so good to know. Or they are. Or, are they, or is he just <laughs> incredibly evil? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> But, but charismatic. But his music is fantastic. And, and this is why, you know, we want to have these artists on the show. Because I think that there is no better way to facilitate healthy ways of looking at the world um, that bypasses your dualistic ego than engaging with music that grabs you in your guts and in your heart before it can really talk to your rational brain. And you have a chance to say, that's true, before you've even really analyzed it. Yeah. And I love having artists on the show to continue to tell people, engage in art, engage in the arts, in poetry, in painting, in film, in just the beauty you see around you. Uh, we got to keep having artists like him on the show. And when they, when they talk, when you get to hear everything going on beneath all that art that they produce, for me, it just gives you a whole nother layer of appreciation. Yeah. I mean, it's just... The thing that I'm fascinated with um, in regards to Ryan specifically was just I, I really just appreciate the way that he analyzes and filters the world and the way that he yes. he views things. I mean, the story that he told us about um, the time that he was really just trying to live out, trying to help people who yes. had less than him by yes. like having like 30 different homeless people living I at his know. house. I, know. I was like, are you Shane Claiborne? No one does this. Who are you? Yeah, I was like, you don't have enough dreadlocks to oh, no, <laughs> but dude practices what he preaches. It's unbelievable. It's like what a model, you know. And and that's not what he was trying to do. Like, hey, look how look how pious and holy I am, you know, by no. doing this. No, I'm I'm so much uh, of a better person than you. That that wasn't it at all. No, like, just trying to be real. Just trying to figure it out. Trying to be real. And and I find that, and and that's what I I think I'm drawn to in his songwriting is that. His songwriting is very real. It's very raw. It's it's you can tell it's him processing the world around him and the yes. way he sees it. Yep. And at times, uh, one of my favorite songs um, on the album, um, I'm horrible with track names because I just hit play and just listen to it. Mm -hmm. I think it's called Michael. Yes. And there's there's a part in there that's it can be hard to listen to. Yep. Um, it just kind of punches you I know right in the face. I know what parts you're talking about. Yeah, but you're like, but it's but it's powerful and it's effective and it makes you sit down and 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 you have to think about what he just said. And it's this just really overpowering story, this message, this story, this narrative throughout the song. And um, you know, it just gives me hope that there there are still people who value um good lyrics and good storytelling <sighs> yes. out there. It's craftsmanship. It really is. Absolute craftsmanship. Not only that, but they're a rocking band live. So good. Go get the album. You wouldn't believe what privilege costs. If you like vinyl, it, it is like white vinyl. Yeah. Like, I don't know if it's 180 gram or not, but it's heavy. It's white. It's beautiful. It sounds amazing. Mm -hmm. And this is a band for those of you that like, you loved like Jimmy Eat World in the late 90s. You love Death Cab. You love just some of that really good lyrical rock and roll with some real grit and humanity and emotion in it. These guys are just, it's rock and roll, man. They're really good. You wouldn't believe what privilege costs. Go get it. Tell Ryan we sent you and the rest of the band. They're all amazing. We love those guys. Yeah. Um, that's all I got. And with that, starting next week, we start into, we kind of did a condensed Halloween month this year. Last yeah. year, obviously, we did it the whole month. We were on, we were just, cranking stuff out like 
two crazy guys. But this year, obviously, we had some uh, really cool episodes we wanted to get you at the beginning of the month. Obviously, we had Martin Marty the first week and then Ryan Alexander this week. Uh, but we're still gonna, we still wanted to do something special for Halloween. So we have two episodes coming out that our Patreon supporters will probably already um, have an idea like what's coming up. But um, next week starts kind of our Halloween theme uh, kind of thing. So we want to do something a little different. Next week is going to blow your mind. Oh, my gosh. Um, and then we're going to release one as it happens Tuesday. Uh, is uh, Halloween falls on a Tuesday this year. So the last episode of the month will be literally on Halloween. We're going to try to get it up a little early. So if you happen to, you know, have to, uh, to drive that particular day, um, good luck. Good luck. You know what it means when Halloween falls on a Tuesday, right? I have no idea. I don't either. I'm okay. <laughs> candy, 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 candy. <laughs> the Garfield special. Yes. Uh, if, if, if you guys have kids out there and you, and you haven't uh, watched the Garfield Christmas special. The one from the 80s. The one from the 80s. It is one of the greatest kids uh, Christmas specials ever. I'd put it up there with the Great Pumpkin. I mean, they're pretty even. Aren't scared stupid? <laughs> Was that a Halloween one? Yeah. Oh gosh, I don't remember. Oh my gosh, yeah. I'm losing it. The trolls that like <laughs> fall from from pods like in the tree and the only thing that can kill them is like milk. Oh my gosh. You know they're remaking the gremlins, right? Oh man. We could just go all day. Anyway. Okay, we're tired. We're <laughs> we're going to shut this down. We love you guys for now. Yes. We are your hosts. I am Adam Narlock and I am John Williamson. Grace and peace and happy Halloween everybody. Love you guys. Love you. The curb descends to the street. Fifty men at least Are stopped by a flashing hand And slurring their speech Pedestrians and cops Will gladly shrug them off white or he's straight Pardon sin makes one man grin and the rest of us pick up the pieces Pardon sin makes one man grin and the rest of us pick up the pieces
rapist walks free. If you're a woman over 40 dealing with hot flashes, insomnia, brain fog, moodiness, or weight gain, you don't have to accept it as just another part of aging. The experts at Midi Health know all these symptoms can be connected to the hormonal changes of menopause. And MIDI can help with safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions covered by insurance. 91% of MIDI patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. 